Welcome to episode 65 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with Master of Personal Change and Transformational Communication, Ross Jeffries, aka Paul Ross. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Changeworks is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Many years ago, when I first came across NLP, I heard whispers of a man who could NLP women into bed. I'll be honest, as a young man at the time, it did pique my interest and I asked others about it. Some told me it was unethical. Some told me it wasn't true. Some said he didn't even exist. He was rumour. He was hearsay. And I remember thinking that regardless of whether you like that kind of thing or not, someone who knows how to communicate powerfully enough to not only do that, but can teach men how to change their perceptions quickly, is someone I'd be open and curious to meet and to talk to. Well, the man behind the myth, the founder of Speed Seduction, and someone who also trains people to sell better, joins me today, and I'm thrilled to have him here, but a little anxious in case I end up wanting to date him. Ross Jeffries, (laughs) welcome to this Rapid Change Conversation. Well, thank you. And as we begin this exploration of unconscious and subconscious influence, persuasion, and change, I'm not sure all the ways in which your listeners might stop and find yourself getting more and more fascinated about what I have to say, maybe to the point where you think to yourself, I've got to talk to Paul more. But as that's taking place, I'm just so honored to be here today. It's really, really good to have you. And I'm I'm fascinated if we can dive straight in how you got started in all of this. Uh, and the reason I ask is because a lot of people that I come across and interview on this, they have a personal backstory of, you know, they were struggling, they were anxious, they were depressed, they were yep. miserable. And yep. Yep. were you a shy, retiring guy who couldn't get I a woman? Was, well, I was a 22-year-old virgin until I accidentally lost my virginity to a rotund adipose young woman from Madison, Wisconsin named Megan Kathleen Donovan. Thank you, Megan. And then I went five years without touching a woman. And it was the most brutally, I call them my ghost years because I wandered around the UCLA campus from which I had matriculated. I love that word matriculated just with no friends, hoping I'd meet someone who had even talked to me much us want to date me. And it was very painful because of the time when young adults are forming their first relationships and exploring what that means. I had nothing and no one. And I tried different things. I read different books and they did nothing for me. I tried therapy, 
talk therapy and that did nothing for me and it was just extremely lonely and painful and then through some twisty turns and etc i stumbled onto my first nlp book that really made sense to me i tried some other ones but that was frogs and the princes and i remember sitting there in the bookstore there used to be bookstores, by the way, for those of you listening. Uh, this one, I believe, was Barnes. I don't know, remember which one this was. It's now gone. But anyway, I started reading Frogs and the Princes. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of instantaneously connecting with something and recognizing, oh, my God, this is for me. But within the first 10 pages, my skepticism was gone. I thought, I'm going to master this. And it took me uh, – then I went to a seminar with Richard where he pulled me up on stage and did like a hypnotic stage show with me. And I watched some videos. I learned a lot from watching videos of Richard teach. And it took me about – a year and a half, two years of struggle to map everything from NLP over into seduction. See, there's an NLP model, as you know, for sales, there's therapeutic work, but no one before had ever done a model for seduction. And that was my unique contribution. And can I tell about how it worked for the first time? Yeah, please, please do. Well, I was working as the litigation paralegal and the sole practitioner, the only lawyer was out of town and he had fired the secretary. So it was up to me to interview new prospects for secretaries. And this young woman comes in hot as can be. And I thought, okay, Dr. Frankenstein, time to use your stuff on her. And I could see from her nonverbals, her face was flushing, her lower lips got bigger. And of course I saw boing, boing. I thought, let's invite her to coffee coffee turned into dinner. In the middle of dinner, she leaned over and said, my tongue is going deep. Now, as we know in the hypnosis field, this is known as organ language or idiomotor responses. And I said, that's because your tongue has a message for me. What is your message? And she said, I want to I said, okay, let's go back to the office. And that ended five years of involuntary celibacy on my boss's desk. And that's when I thought, okay. And then I experienced some serious time distortion because my sense of reality had been so warped and turned inside out that I got lost on the freeway. An hour seemed like five seconds, five minutes. It was, it was crazy. It was a crazy time. How did you – I mean did you have times where you were mapping this across and you were exploring and experimenting with this and it really just wasn't working? And if many, so, many, many times. Well, how did you keep going or what, what did you do or processes did you tell yourself to keep going? Well, OK, it's not working, but I'm, I'm going to keep moving. Well, first of all, I had no choice. It was either this or die lonely. That was it. So the pain of not per going forward was far worse than going forward. That's the first thing. The second thing I've always believed since I was ch a child that I was put here for a purpose and a mission a life's path. And I knew once I got into this, it would be part of my life's path or my life's path. I just always knew it. And I'm stubborn as a mule. I hate quitting. I hate it. 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 I'd rather go through. I have a new affirmation that I came up with fairly recently, which is uncertainty and confusion are my joyous gateways to my vision, my purpose, my passion, my joyous achievement, and my amazing personal and financial goals. So I guess on some level, I always believed that. And then my mother, 
who was one of the greatest teachers of my life, taught me that I could learn to figure out anything. So all those things combined. And then there's the joy of doing it. Quite frankly, I'm an incredibly creative person. Creativity is at my very soul. I've been depressed and creative. I've been manic and creative. I've been neutral and been creative. I just couldn't stop creating. I couldn't do it. So this just evolved and was born out of a, a, a passion for creativity and knowing that you could, knowing it was your life's mission. And a tremendous tolerance for pain and confusion, tremendous mm -hmm. tolerance. And it turned into a joy of the unknown. After a while, if you really stick with it, it can transform in the joy of not knowing. And human beings, as we could get into later when I talk about one of my great teachers, Shenzhen Yang, human beings do not like, don't know, and confusion. But I learned to enjoy it and look forward to it, which is transformational. Well, I wanted to, to move forwards to now, you know, if you're helping someone who's really struggling and, and nervous and anxious about approaching anyone and doesn't even know where to begin, how much of these themes of that were important for you? in terms of being okay with uncertainty and confusion, how much of that comes out to help others? That's a tremendous thing that I teach people. See, I think there are different kinds of, I hate it. God, I want to whip, hang people upside down and beat them with a rod when they say, you just have to have more confidence. Well, there's more than one kind of confidence and let's define it. Confidence is not a thing. When people say you have to have more confidence, that's, as we know in NLP, a nominalization. And a nominalization takes place when you take an activity, a process, or verb, and you turn it into a noun. So I tell people, well, there's no such thing as anxiety. You don't have approach anxiety. You don't. You do the process of anxiety. And oftentimes when it comes for men approaching women, it's not even that. It's just sexual overload. They have such a sexual charge in their body. Did you ever see the movie Spinal Tap? I haven't. Uh, it's a funny uh, ro uh, mockumentary about a fictitious rock band. And at one point, he notices, the interviewer notices that their amps go up to 11. And he says, why don't you just make 10 louder? And the guy says, "Oz go to 11. <laughs> and so the problem is they're so amped up. So I tell people, look, you're not. You don't have anxiety. You're doing the process called that you're labeling anxiety. So let's look at the process. One of the things I tell people and I teach people is if you label something as a noun or about being something outside of yourself, you can't contact the process going on inside you. But if you can make contact with that process, you can then begin to shift it. You can change the elements. You can use your body to ground it down into the ground. You can work with it energe energetically. You can work with it linguistically. But this is the orientation I give people that they don't and they don't want a thing called confidence. I used to say when I did my seminars for lonely, geeky, 40-year-old virgins, <laughs> it's not funny, but it, it is funny, but it is kind of funny. I'd say, how many people want more confidence with hot women? Every hand would go up. I'd say, okay, I have a 50-gallon jug of confidence fluid up in my hotel room. It's $1,000 a gallon. I'll drill a hole in the top of your head and pour it in. Guaranteed to work. Who wants that? And they all got a big laugh out of it because they recognize it's not a thing or a quality they have that's limited, like porridge that you dole out in an orphanage. Please, sir, can I have some more? It's an activity that you do that arises in your neurology. And by the way, it ebbs and it flows, it waxes and it wanes. It's never from moment to moment. This is another myth. 
that your quote confidence quote your motivation is always going to be the same being that it's more fluid and a process it's going to change in intensity over time does that make sense I, I totally make sense. And I've talked with people uh, often about the fact that I am convinced that some of the I would say there's a dark side to the personal development tropes that are often banded around. So this there's idea a moronic that, side as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, for, for sure. But this idea that, you know, like everyone has to be positive all the time and that I'm only a normal person if everything is going well for me at all the moments of every time. Oh, and uh, and you get people who go, you know, I have to be juiced up on life 100% of the time. And I'll say, oh, really? What, are, what does being juiced up on the toilet look like? What is being juiced up when you've lost a loved one or when yeah. you have your body is in unbelievable pain? I think it's far more useful when I when people are really down in the dumps and they want to get positive and happy again. I said, if you were driving your car and doing 100 miles an hour on the freeway and suddenly you had to stop. Would you rapidly throw it into reverse? No, you'd put it in neutral first. So I think neutrality is a far more useful state to get to, but neutrality is not sexy. You can't get up on a stage in front of 40,000 people like Roni Tobbins, I won't even say his real name, and get into a peak, get everyone into a peak state. By the way, I was at a Roni, Roni Tobbins, oh, fuck it, Tony Robbins. I oh, I didn't Rufus, get that, yeah. I call him Rufus T. Glitter Teeth <laughs> mm-hmm. with that big smile. I was at Glitter Teeth's event at Anaheim the duck pond it's a big stadium down near disneyland anyway there are thirty thousand people and tony said repeat after me i am the voice and everyone yelled i am the voice and he said i will lead and not follow and forty thousand sheep yelled i will lead and not follow and i yelled out i won't (laughs) and amazing he called a break and forty thousand leaders ran out to the toilets and ran out to the concession stands but but there is this idea, isn't there, that within the personal development world that we have to all be leaders. Like, what if it's okay not to be? What if it's okay it's, just to be normal? It, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. It's, it's, it's a myth. Again, I want to smack some of these people. And that ridiculous piece of shit book. Think and Grow Rich was, was one of the stupidest things I've ever read. And they turned Napoleon Hill into a figure like Jesus Christ. And Think and Grow, Grow Rich is like a Bible. If you dare question that in the realm of self-development and personal achievement. Here's a question for all your audience and a question for you, Howard. In the areas of losing weight, making money, and finding your soulmate, how many millions of copies of books, not individual titles, but actual millions of copies of books have been sold in the last year in the Western world. Give it a pop. Millions, millions. Let's say 50 million, just to be conservative. Then why don't we see 50 million skinny, rich people madly in love with their ideal partner? Something is wrong. In between the information slash inspiration and the implementation, there's a giant gap. And my claim to fame is having worked with the most impacted, screwed up, stuck people in the world, I've seen deeper into that gap than anyone else in the personal change world. I know what it is that keeps people deeply stuck. And for me, it's less about being positive than it is about getting the fuck out of your own way. So how do you get people to get the fuck out of their own way? 
Well, first and foremost, I get them to stop asking the wrong questions. For example, guys will come to me and they say, why can't I be really successful with women? Now, when you ask yourself the question, why can't I be successful with women or why do I always fuck it up with women? What you're doing is you're looking into your past and you're looking at all your mistakes. You're running through your mistakes over and over and over again. Now, here's a law of the mind that I made up, which is the mind works on repetition, frequency, and momentum. So the mind also can't tell the difference between what you're dwelling on and what you're programming back in. So if you're looking at your mistakes, your good intention is you're trying to learn from them. But what you're doing as you dwell on them is just you're programming them back in. And of course, when you program them back in, when you go out into the world and you're in that context, of course, the brain is going to do what you program back in. It's not that you're a thing called a self-sabotager or you have a mythical lack of some mythical substance called self-esteem. You have a shitty learning strategy. You have a confidence problem. You have a shit learning strategy. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And is this why that a lot of people say that traditional counseling and that kind of let's just talk about the problem repeatedly oh doesn't work. God. Of course it fucking doesn't work because you're just having people fixate and suggest the problem back into their heads. That's why I like more solution-oriented therapies. Well, you say that. You say that. But I have to tell you, Paul, I had uh, a, a client, 15-year-old girl who came to see me and she'd been to a school counselor. Uh, who uh, she'd been having panic attacks and anxiety for three and a half years. And the school council did have a very solution-focused approach for her, which okay. was she needs, she needs to have a cup of tea before she goes to bed. <laughs> so I don't know why that's a problem. Well, I mean, you know, it, well, I mean, it doesn't seem to work, well, but it was solution-focused. Well, really, Richard Bandler <laughs> made a good point. He said therapy is the only one of the few professions where you don't have to make a guarantee. I've spent 30, 40, 50,000 dollars on talk therapy and different things and got no word. Bandler once said and again he said some brilliant things. If you took your car into the mechanic and your mechanic did 10,000 dollars of work and it the car still didn't run, he said sorry, the car has to be ready to change. Bring it back when it's ready to change. You could probably get your money back, but you can't do it with therapy. Now not to say some therapists are not naturally good healers. Not to say that they're all useless. Some of them are very, very useful. They have good modalities or they just are able to naturally do things well, but they don't know the structure of their talent. Do you think people should be teaching um, these ideas in schools, getting them installed at a younger age, this way of thinking? I think people should be teaching this uh, as soon as possible. The idea, uh, the skill set of emotionally self-regulating is not something that's even brought up. But if you can teach people a good technique to self-regulate their emotion and their emotional responses and to increase their executive function, a lot of people who get into trouble just don't have good executive functioning. They've never been taught it. I think some of them just have brain structures that are damaged so teaching these skill sets is at an early age and teaching how to think critically i don't know exactly how it is in the uk and across the world but in the united states critical thinking is virtually non-existent and those who do cr think critically are viewed as subversive intellectuals who need to be shouted down particularly with the current political situation and and the rest of the 
politically correct nonsense that's going on. Yeah, that there seems to be a huge prevalence in what I would call sloppy thinking, uh, which is founded on this idea that if, if someone feels something, then you must have meant it that way. Or the other piece of stupidity where I want to punch someone in the face. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Great. I'll tell you what, dude or, or lady. I, if it's true that you nothing bad ever happens to you because you believe it won't, I challenge you to stand in front of a speeding train doing 150 kilometers an hour and come out unscathed. Go ahead and do it. I'll give you a million quid, as you guys would say, if you can do that. So I'm reading between the lines here, and it, it seems to me that you're a big fan of the law of attraction. Oh, fuck you. The law of attraction. First of all, let's talk about this. There's a, what do you mean by law? Is there the law that you argue in court? Is there the law? Is it a law of physics? By the way, if you're proclaiming something to be a law of physics or a law of nature, show me the math. If there's not math behind it, it's not a law of physics. Every law of physics has math behind it. So my answer to someone who says they have a law that applies to the way the, quote, universe, close quote, works, I just say, show me the math. If you got the math, then I'll consider it. If you don't have the math, it's not a law. It's your stupid conjecture about how things work. But don't call it a law. So, so you're a fan. I'm not. And here comes my Moggy, my executive assistant. I have two of them. This is NECA. She's a yeah. year old and she likes to help me work. That's 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 very nice. Just for the audience at home who don't realize that because they can't see you, obviously. Um, oh. Ross, Ross has just showed me his pussy cat. Uh, she's a good girl. NECA is a dilute tortoise shell. And she's going to try and step on the keyboard. NECA? No. Yeah, well, look, look I, I, I am totally with you on the uh, that law of attraction stuff. And um, I, I also, I don't know about you, but I've come across a lot of people who there's like a downside, a dark side of it, which is the number of people I've seen in my clinic because they come and they go, Howard, I really believe in the law of attraction. And I've been I've had these terrible thoughts of terrible things that are going to happen to me and I can't get them out of my head. And I know if I can't get them out of my head, it's going to happen. Well, I would say, let's think about that. How many people in the world have phobias of flying who really believe the plane's going to crash? Let's say 5 million. Then why don't we see 5 million plane crashes every day? Oh, how many people believe they're going to win the lottery? Then why don't we see 5 million lottery winners every day? So those millions of starving kids in Africa just don't want the food enough or they don't believe they deserve it. Come on, get, get, get with the program here. But that's what they would say, isn't it? And that's the thing that they would go, well, they obviously just don't really believe it enough. Uh, and I find it odious and I insulting. Think there, I, I think there's a little bit. I certainly think that if you have beliefs that say that you. If you have beliefs about your capability and beliefs about your sense of possibility and then you're willing to put in the work, it's more likely that you'll succeed than what you than what you then you won't. But that has to do with your own actions and what you can control, not the way the laws of physics work. Yeah. So, so can you give me uh, some examples of uh, people? I mean, obviously, this is the Rapid Change Matters podcast. I love getting people to talk about people that have come in one way. There's been some work and pretty quickly they've experienced changes. 
Oh, yes. I have so I have a history. Remember, I have 32 years under my belt of working with the most impacted, screwed up people in the world. And so I had a guy, I was doing a clinic at one of my speed selection seminars. We were doing an hour segment on destroying approach anxiety. And I had a beautiful female volunteer and the guys, there were about 10 guys on stage and they were going to take turns talking to her. I saw one of them shaking with fear. And I said to him, you're afraid even of being on stage, aren't you? He said, yeah, forget about the girl. I'm terrified of you being up here. I sent everyone back to their seats. I said, we're going to get you over this fear, but you have to do everything I'm going to tell you to do. I made the devil's pact, the same thing Jorgen does. I said, if I show you how to get over this, but I promise you it's not going to be illegal, dangerous, or fattening, will you do it? He said, yes. So I said, here's what you're going to do. The problem is not that you're afraid of speaking to people. The problem is that you're ashamed of your fear. So we're going to get you to admit to your fear, but in a very special way. In a minute, you're going to go up and talk to the audience, and you're going to say the following. You're going to say, I'm terrified of speaking to you, but everyone look at the, your watches within, I don't know, it certainly won't be 50 seconds, probably won't be in a minute, but in between a minute and 13 seconds and a minute and 40 seconds, my fear will disappear. Everyone look at your watches, go. And he was ready to vomit the first time he said that. But you know what? Everyone looked at their watches. And he got a look of terrible confusion on his face. He looked at me. He looked at the audience. He looked at me. He looked at the audience. And I could see him shift a little bit. I said, do it again. And this time he was a little more confident. He said, everyone look at their watches. And sure enough, everyone looked at their watches. And he straightened up. He looked at me with a look of puzzlement. And then by the third time, his body language shifted. I didn't tell him stand straighter or speak to his voice dropped an octave. And he said he was like completely confident. And I think he said at that point, okay, fuckers, just look at your watches. And everyone roared. Now, how was it possible for me to do that? Did I put him in trance officially? No. What happened was uh, it wasn't enough for me to tell him, first of all, I had him buy into the presupposition. That's pure Milton Erickson. I don't know at what point you're going to make the shift or the change. But I also had did something else. I had him instruct everyone to look at their watches. So he was confused. Are the audience people who are going to judge him? Or are there people there to obey his every command? Do you understand? And so it was that little extra piece of inducing a, a useful therapeutic confusion that allowed him to make the shift. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful. Yep, and I came up with it on the spot. Now, there were several things I could have done. I could have taken him backstage and put him in a deep trance and shifted his beliefs and or done some anchor collapses, but I didn't have the time. I didn't have time to slow down the whole seminar. And that's an example of doing anything and everything you can to create change rapidly without relying on one technique. What do change workers need to be able to have that ability to make stuff up that works on the spot? I think they have to have a very open mind. They have to absolutely not be dogmatic or doctrinaire about what it is that will work. They have to have a lot of different techniques and tools in their bag of tricks and not be willing to say, this is the only thing that will work. 
And then they just have to be able to look at the situation in the context and say, what do I need to do in this context and in this situation? And finally, I have to say, you have to be in total service to that person. When I work with people, I don't like them all the time, but I love all of them. Not in a romantic sense, but in a sense that I'm totally there only to be of service to them. My ego will come in later. I'll say later who's the greatest of all time. But while I'm there with them, my ego and ego is not a thing. Granted, it's a nominalization. My desire and need to be seen as the greatest is set aside. The only thing that's there and present is my love for the student or client and my utter devotion to seeing them get to change. That's it. Nothing yeah. else matters in the world. And at that moment, they are my entire world. I, I love that because this theme of, I mean, that you said earlier about, you know, the thing that screws people up is that they're in their own head and we need to get them the fuck out of their own way. And it seems to me as though in that moment, like that's practicing what you preach. You're just in the moment, you're present with that person and you're not there going, well, should I do anchoring? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I take no. them out? It's just no. flowing. It's just coming and out. And I sort of, I hate the word channel, but I sort of instantly came to me what Milton Erickson would do. It's that little piece. The Ericksonian piece was have everyone look at their watches because mm -hmm. that was a way of rapidly changing the belief by creating a confusion. I remember reading uh, something in Erickson, the collective, the wit and wisdom of Milton Erickson, or the collective wisdom in Milton Erickson, where he said, virtually everything I do involves a confusion. And confusion both also in selling, to artfully confuse your prospect at the right time, is very, very useful. So confusion is, and pattern interrupts are extremely powerful. They're one of the things I rely on pretty consistently. It reminds me of a time that um, on a, I, I always – I've never shared this story on a podcast. Um, I've shared it in my private group of people that have come to hear me talk and on a seminar I did with Jürgen um, called Cringeworthy Conversations. But I had a moment that was, <laughs> that was born out of that kind of just seat-of-the-pants flow state. I'm just doing what, 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 what works. And it was with a 14-year-old thumbsucker who came to see me. And, oh, um, what did you do? I got to hear this one. Well, th this guy comes in and the mother had been like, I, I'm, you know, I, I want to be with him for the session. And he was like, OK, you can be here with me. And the two of them are sitting in my office. And there was like a, some weird tension between the two of them, the mother and the son, not quite sure she wanted to be there. And um, he just said, I, I said, so this is about th thumb sucking, right? And he went, yeah. And I had loads of stuff that I often do, collapsing anchors, doing parts and integrating and I just threw it all out the window because something just struck me. It just came to me. And I went, do you really want to stop sucking your thumb? And he went, yeah. I said, no, 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 no. Do you really want to stop? And he went, yeah. I said, okay, because ultimately it's your choice. If you want to carry on sucking your mum's tits, you can. <laughs> and he just like went bright red. The mother went bright red. And he just went all like, no, no, no. What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, no, no, that's not what I'm doing. I said, well, what do you think it is? You were born, you came out your mum's vagina, kicking and screaming, and she held you to her chest and you suckled. You sucked her tit. That's what you did. And it made you feel good, didn't it? And then after a year, she wanted to stop and you wanted to carry on. So you had to find a substitute. <laughs> That's a great reframe. So now 14 years later, you know, and then I just looked over at the mum and I said, but mum, 
doesn't it give you some warm feeling to know that your son still wants to be that intimate with you? And he just lost it. He just looked at his thumb and he was like shaking and he looked at it and he just goes, not doing that again. That was it. <laughs> great reframe, great pattern interrupt. And it's not something you could have taught because it's based on years of experience. And there's so many different ways to have dealt with that. You could have prescribed the symptom. You could have supposedly, I don't know if it's true, if he was a synambulist, you could have put him in, kicked the mother out of the room, put him in trance and told him every time you go to suck your thumb, your elbow will lock. There's, uh, if you believe that, I, I think that's a, a fairy tale, a bandler tale. Uh, who knows? So uh, I think uh, you did a brilliant piece of work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Out of interest, that 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 that's curious to me that you said you know that maybe that's a fairy tale. H how much of these stories that seem too fanciful, too good, do you think are true? And are there ones that you have witnessed yourself or you've done yourself that other people on hearing would go, no, 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 no. I don't. I. I. There's no way to quantify that. I think there's some tall tales told by some people to maybe strike a metaphorical point. They're speaking a metaphor. They just want to make themselves look better than they are. I'm not going to say who they are. Yeah. And I, I, my answer to that is, I don't know. I'm sure people watching what I do and not knowing my algorithms would say, how the hell did he do that? That's impossible. Like, like Louis Theroux. Oh, that was look that's edited tv i hate to break it to you howard but tv documentaries are not presented the way they actually happen there's tremendous no. amount of editing going on no don't do that to me although that bit where i hypnotized that woman right in front of everyone that was true that was yeah. not rehearsed she was not a shell that happened mm. as as it was shown that was recorded exactly what happened yeah yeah, no, no, no. That 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 that's that's cool. So, what else? I mean, we we've got. You mentioned when we did the rapid fire round, uh, and I just loved this. The first question I asked you was, "What's the worst advice currently being given out within the world of change work?" And I just loved your answer. I just, uh, I just thought that is fantastic. Can you remind everyone uh, what you said and why? I said, "Well, just be yourself." I said, "What if yourself is fucked up, nasty?" limited, depressed. What the hell does that mean? This is a, a piece of advice that guys are given when they want to date successfully. Just be yourself. What that really means is don't try to improve your communication skills. Don't uh, acquire more flexibility, requisite variety. Just keep doing what you're doing. And also there are times when you shouldn't be yourself or, or another one. Jesus Christ. Always be authentic. Always be authentic. Bullshit. So you go to Christmas and grandma knits you a sweater that looks like a piece of roadkill <laughs> that's been stretched out on a loom. And she says, how do you like it? Are you supposed to say, grandma, this is the worst piece of shit gift I've ever gotten? No, you're going to be inauthentic. Inauthenticity, phoniness, Rehearsed responses are part of the grease, the lubricant for the friction of interacting in society. If a cop pulls you over, at least in the United States, and you really want to tell him fuck off, no, you're going to be yes officer, no officer. So the name of the game is not authenticity or inauthenticity. The name of the game is freedom and choice. 
it's far more powerful to say have the choice to be authentic, whatever that means. And this whole idea of being yourself implies that self is a thing. And through meditation, you gain the insight that self is not a thing. It's a flow and a process. And there's a lot of research to suggest that self is a committee, that there's actually multiple aspects of the brain. Forget about NLP parts. I don't know that I believe parts is just a useful metaphor. I mean, in terms of neuroscience, They've shown that the brain thinks in different parts of the brain light up. There's executive function. That's the, the neocortex. There's more mammalian, which is underneath the neocortex. There's reptilian. You could even look at self in terms of neurotransmitters. Is it cortisol or adrenaline or is it serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins? There's a lot of different levels to look at this, but self as thing, or there's only one. I remember this great Bandler story. Bandler was accosted by some Scientologists who said, would you like to take a free personality test? And allegedly Bandler said, well, I only get to test one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but if someone writes always be authentic on Facebook and they put a background of like a beach and they make it really swirly and put some nice music behind it, surely it's more profound as a statement. <laughs> Maybe it has more attention grabbing optics for people who have six second attention span of a goldfish, but it's not true. I, I, I get really irritated. I, I, I make it my business sometimes on my social media feed to, to point out those stupid tropes that, you know, when people write swirly stuff and they put like... Oh, but then you're being divisive. You're being divisive. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, yes, well, we good. Should cut a, we should make a divide between militant stupidity and accurate critical thinking. Yeah. Precision in thinking. This is another one. You just have to be passionate. Well, passion without precision... It's a formula for disaster. Precision without passion is just mental masturbation. I think finding the right mix of precision and passion is the name of the game. You have to be precise. So what are you? Where are you going moving forwards in terms of the future? What are you hoping to do? Are you more of the? Well, I'm now teaching subtle selling. I'm teaching subconscious communication for sales and influence and persuasion for sales. So I'm taking everything I've done with persuasion and strike that with seduction and dating and mapped it over into selling. And this is completely batshit, off the wall, crazy stuff. For me, selling is not about getting your ideas into your prospect's mind. It's about expanding their consciousness to include your ideas. Now, the idea of sales being about expansion of consciousness is absolute batshit crazy timothy leary 70 60s stuff tune in drop out to whatever it is and so this is a revolutionary way of looking at sales and my clients are getting crazy now you have to have an existing sales process if i'm going to work with you you have to be someone that's already doing good six or seven figures you have to have an existing sales process and you have to be a, already a champion i i mm -hmm. i so I call it the sales edge. If you if you want to get an edge on your own personal best and get an edge on the competition, then I'm the fellow to talk to. And I also wrote this wonderful book, Subtle Words Itself. I've got it. I've read it. It's I'm, really, really cool. I, I love it. Well, I love it. And it brings a lot of stuff you. that uh, I've been aware of under that kind of uh, area. So it, it's it's 
really, I, I thoroughly Thanks. recommend it. So um, I, I'm curious, people that hire you to do the sales stuff, do they ever kind of look at, uh, at your past and go, whoa, we're not, we're not having that? Or do they look at it the <laughs> other way around? I don't tend to talk too much about it. I just tell them I've been a dating coach. But you know what? I am absolutely not for everyone. If you're easily offended, don't work with me. If you don't have a big budget, because I am the most expensive coach and mentor you'll ever be glad you hired, period. And if you just are have a button-down mind that doesn't want to go through some confusion and really change the entire way you think about sales and influence, get lost. But if you're already doing really well, I mean mid six to seven figures, or you're willing to get there, you have a good sales process, you're already successful. There's the possibility that I might work with you. I really am extremely busy and expanding in to do a lot of stuff. That's just such a cool response. And it's true. And I'll give... Uh, and I also have a 90-day personal change mentorship program, but that's that's into the one, two, that's into the five figures. But if you want to talk to me, it's easy. Just email me, paul at speakerpaulross.com. You can put that in the notes. So it's paul at speakerpaulross.com. We'll have a little chat, and I can send you an application form because I do screen people. It's fantastic. I, I am really curious about something that I heard you say when I saw a YouTube clip of you in front of a, a very kindly, uh, wonderfully uh, welcoming audience of women. <laughs> <laughs> that was an ambush chat show. They, yeah. they tried to ambush me in this chat show. The producer didn't tell me that they have an all-female audience. This is back in 1992. And when they brought me out on stage, she gave me a shit-eating grin. And I looked – I thought, I'm not trapped in here with them. They're trapped in here with me. I'm going to kick everyone's ass. But the, the thing that intrigued me, there was something you said there. Uh, and again, it's kind of come out already uh, as we've been talking. But that there's a difference between what women say they want and what they respond to. I said there's – what women say they want, there's what women think they want, then there's what they actually respond to. Freud yeah. asked the question, what do women want? What a dumb fuck stupid question. Who cares? People's behavior shows you what really matters. So I'm only interested in what people respond to. It applies to everybody, not just women. But in the context of wanting to really irritate and enrage the women in the audience because my calculation was the more enraged they are and shout me down the more the men watching think this guy has something to say you gotta hire you gotta hire mm -hmm. him or learn from him or buy my products yeah 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 they well they certainly responded they certainly responded <laughs> that is for sure um, so it's it's a thoroughly it. it's a thoroughly enjoyable it. clip. It's it's I really it. really good. So I, I thoroughly recommend people go and, uh, and look at that as well. But I, I'm curious, what is the difference between what they say they want, what they think they want, and indeed how they respond? How would you kind of well, sum this that up? is this this is anything I present to you is only damn it, Neca. Oh, everything I present to you, my Moggy is up here giving me hell. Everything I present is not true with a capital T. It's just my map, just my model. But I would say that first and foremost, that men and women are equally emotional, but we men tend to have our emotions in sequence. When we're angry, we're angry. When we're happy, we're happy. 
happy. When we're loving, we're loving. When we're horny, we're horny. Women tend to have emotions about their emotions. You know what the concept of metastates is in mm-hmm. NLP? States yep. about their state. So just because it's feeling turned on doesn't mean it's on now. She could be curious about her being turned on. She could be anxious about her curiosity about being turned on. So I, I, I think that's the first thing. The second thing is I think women respond to a man who can lead them into states of consciousness that are exciting. I teach my male students, or when I used to do this, forget about behaviors. Forget about trying to get a phone number or thinking, where do I take her on the date? Instead, think, what stage of consciousness do I want this person in when they receive my message? Same thing when I teach sales. Don't think, first of all, of how to present your marketing plan. Instead, think, what states of consciousness do I want this person in? Mm-hmm. So if I, for example, wanted to create fascination, before you present your marketing plan or even do your screening process, I would say something like, before we explore this opportunity together, I just want to invite you to share your answers to some questions that would help us clarify why we'd make a good fit to work together. Do you understand how that's creating the permission for them to really open up by giving all those suggestions? And then you do your screening process because you're far more likely to get honest and non-conflicted answers. So this all applies throughout selling because here we're creating that state of feeling open and feeling rapport through three words we said as we are sharing this exploration of working together so those words we share and together do we we share together implies a relationship they're what I call implied relationship words. The name of the book is subtle words itself. So before you do your screening process and your qualifying process, great. Go ahead and use your existing marketing model, but sort of bolt on or put this stuff in front of it. So you're creating that state of consciousness of feeling and deep rapport and a willingness to be led and the ability and willingness to be honest before you ask the qualifying questions. Do you understand? So this turbocharges your existing sales process. Do you think a lot of people in sales, because uh, I've taught sales in businesses, and I, I see a lot of people, I would say the biggest mistake they make is that they think they're selling to themselves. They basically know biggest how mistake. they would be sold to. No, no. I think the biggest mistake is, the lar- that's true, but the larger mistake is they think they're selling their product or services. You're never selling your product or service. You're always selling decisions and good feelings about decisions. And you are not a salesperson. You're a decision service technician. A decision service technician. I love that. That's the power of metaphor. Mm -hmm. Metaphor is a bridge from one way of understanding over into a completely new direction in your thinking. By the way, did you catch the phonetic ambiguity? New direction. Did I say new direction or new direction? (laughs) I can't help it. (laughs) Sorry, was it supposed to sound like new direction? It's ambiguous, isn't it? <laughs> the, um, I can't help it. This has become the way I think and the way in which I communicate, Howard. Yeah, I, I, and I'm sure that fills you with, I'm not going to say happiness. No, I'm not going to say that. Well, my NLPness is legendary. <laughs> I am not a myth. <laughs> I have a great NLPness about my communication. <laughs> so, can I communicate without this nonsense? No, I can't. 
Mm-hmm. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, I, you, you've done a number of pattern interrupts on me as we've been going. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. Really? My, my brain's been scrambled. Um, you know, more 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 than I don't know. More than whatever. I can't even think. You see, I've been reduced. Well, your brain, your mind, your brain works faster than you think, as Richard well, says. Uh, that's that's very kind of you, but not according and to I gotta my get wife. Credit. I got to get credit where credit is due. If it were not for the esteemed Mr. Bandler or Dr. Bandler, I would not be here. And if it were not for Milton Erickson, he wouldn't be here. And if it weren't for Shinsen Young, my meditation teacher, mm. I would not be the human being today. NLP never made me wiser or more loving or kind. And it's not designed to do that. Meditation did. Like, I, I know, obviously, you're, you're moving into the areas of sales and influence and mapping all that across. Um, I, I'm curious, as you're kind of leaving... I doubt about leaving the, 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 the seducing speed seduction game. Um, but there are a lot of people, new guys on the block, the pickup artists, and there's gaining oh certain God. traction. What was your take oh on that? They're, they're, they're really good marketers who, who are naturally good with women. I've seen some of them. They're incredibly good marketers, and they're very good-looking guys. Young, very good looking. They have a lot of women around them. A lot of them just do bottle service game where they spend a lot of money on getting bottle service and clubs. They have a huge social network and they're out there trying to tell a schmo who's 40 years old and just got divorced out of 20 years of marriage. Yes, you can do my social proof game. Yeah, right, buddy. And I think they're mostly con men or they're doing very, 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 very 10th generation mockeries of a travesty of a shame of a fraud of a scam of what i've been doing for 32 years yeah i don't think much so so, so you but like them as huge, much as the law of attraction it's it's a huge <laughs> industry I, I i accidentally created i never set out to do that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. no no that, that's how many people can say but howard how many people can say they created an entire subculture from their work yeah no, I mean, it, it's you know, impressive. It's pretty impressive. And it's I inc- incredible. was saying to the smoking hot 19-year-old who I'm dating, I'm 61. <laughs> I, I said, you know, how many – no matter what happens to me when they click out my lights, whether I'm rich or poor, in bad health or whatever, no one will ever take away from me the fact that I've changed tens of thousands of lives, saved lives. I have so many guys who have said to me, I was ready to kill myself before I came to your seminar. I had the gun on the nightstand. One of them said he was ready to drink bleach. Another one told me he walked into the ocean on New Year's Eve all the way up to his neck when something told him, don't do it. Look on the internet. I get emails from guys with excuse me, pictures of their children attached. So – no one can ever talk, take that away from me. No one. And that's profoundly rewarding. I haven't been the best businessman, but there you go. I'm improving that at my advanced age. Are there any things looking back with the hindsight of uh, age, wisdom, experience that you'd have done differently? I kind of regret that I needed to make other people wrong I, I I certainly wouldn't do business with the people who wanted me to do business. I would have been a multimillionaire had I – these companies who were doing very well, had I taken them up on their offer to endorse them, mm-hmm. I told them to go eat of pile of burning shit. <laughs> but had I been willing to 
throw away my ethics, I would have made a lot of money. I, I don't regret doing that, but that doesn't mean I had to attack them personally on the internet. I would have avoided attacking them personally. I would have just politely said, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Mm. Yeah. So that's certainly, that's certainly the case. I would have done that differently. And I would have been a lot more cautious about who I let into my inner circle. I wouldn't have suspected these people were there, not just to learn from me, but to rip me off. That's mm -hmm. not said from bitterness. That's just neutrally, accurately true. So, so people often ask, certainly on podcasts, this guy, and I asked that on the, the rapid fire round, the what advice would you give to your younger self? But I, I often like to switch it around and I often think, well, what would your younger self say to you now? What advice would a younger self say to you? It wouldn't might give be me advice. Value? It wouldn't give me advice. It would say, please fucking help me. I want to bang Mary Jo Big Tits. And, and she canceled on me for this third time. <laughs> I just want to say a personal message to yeah. those of you who are offended. I challenge you to look at this as an opportunity to expand your ability to tolerate communication that at first seems blasphemous. I love the idea of embracing personal blasphemy. It's the very ideas that offend you most that hold the potential for opening your eyes the best because they're the ones that are most challenging your current model. If your current model is working for you, great, but it probably isn't. I love that. I just That's love that. That's my reframe on feel grateful that I'm offending you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great reframe. It's a brilliant reframe, but, you I, know, it, it, it's true. It's like, you know, I mean, I had a guy that said to me, stop me halfway through a session once and went, you know, this is just nonsense. And I said, well, of course it's nonsense. Of course. Like you've tried up until now all the stuff that made sense to you and that didn't get you anywhere. So by the by default, the stuff that's nonsense is more likely to work. I like to say never underestimate the power of the ridiculous and the absurd to change limitations that are equally when you look at them from an outsider's perspective, absurd and ridiculous. Yeah. Once you get your client to laugh at their challenges, at their problems, you're well on your way to changing things. The big shift happens when your client is no longer looking through their patterns and their beliefs, but they're looking at them. And if they're looking at them and laughing at them, then you know you've broken them. I love that. So I like to think and change in terms of balancing three types of consciousness. And again, this is just my model. There is will consciousness we are totally determined to get your outcome this is the kind of thing that tony robbins and the rest of them really emphasize just persist 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 you're three feet from gold and that can be useful there's creative consciousness where you tap into your unconscious resources some people would say your higher self through using meditation ritual magic self-hypnosis great stuff and then there's witness consciousness where you're able to look at your patterns with courage and clarity and precision and i think a lot of people get into trouble because there are those who are out of balance there's some contexts where you really need to use your witness consciousness there's some where you need to use your will there's some where you need to be creative and learning to get the balance between those three things is an advanced study and that's something i teach in my accelerated personal change and mentorship program. But no one else, I think, in the world sees that distinction and knows how to teach it. Does that make oh, yeah. sense to you? It makes, you makes total heard, sense. Yeah, have yeah, you yeah. ever heard of that before or anyone talk about it in those terms? Not in those no. terms. 
No, no this comes out of my study of ritual magic because I did mm -hmm. that for a short while for maybe two and a half years. That's magic with a K. And I extracted what I thought was useful and threw away everything that was nonsense. This is also another thing. If you want to get good at NLP or any kind of change work, experiment with tossing out more and more stuff and see if you can get the same outcome. You want to talk about rapid personal change work? Well, have the guts to experiment by progressively removing more and more stuff out of your algorithm and your technique to see if you can still get the change. If you can't, then add it back in. Do you think that the traditional, I don't know about traditional, but I, look, I, I think NLP training and NLP has a, a huge merit and there's lots of stuff, but... But. Some of the essence has been lost. If the idea is modeling success and having an attitude of exploration and seeing what works, here's, now it's just here, being taught by rote. Here's, there's two challenges. The first challenge is, as you said, the trainers don't get the basic concepts behind NLP. As Bandler has said over and over and over, NLP is a modeling technology out of which techniques are distilled. It leaves a trail of techniques. It's sort of like mistaking the exhaust of the car from the engine. Does the engine produce the exhaust or does the exhaust produce the engine? So many people have the back asswards. The other thing is what I call the seminar phenomenon. People who come to seminars are self-selecting. They're raising their hands and saying, yes, yes, I want it to work on me because they're spending all that money. They're doing all that travel. They're devoting all that time. So, of course, it works in the seminar room. The analogy I would use is martial arts where people do a lot of forms. They practice this, this, but then they get into a fight in the real world with a street fighter who kicks their ass. So, in a way, you can think of what I teach as street fight NLP. Because when you're in a situation where you're dealing with the most fucked up people in the world and you don't have time for theory or what only works in the seminar room, you need to get to it. You need to gouge eyes, kick in the nuts, just crush people's throats to use a bad metaphor. Do anything and everything you can. And again, when you go to persuade or influence someone in the real world, they're not self-selecting. They're not there saying, oh, yes, I want it to work on me. So a lot of NLP stuff that's taught in the seminar room may not work in the real world. If you're doing a, a sale and someone's, quote, resistant, close quotes, I think it's never that. And you say, well, let's look at the different parts of you. Is there a part of you that's willing to communicate on the unconscious level all the ways in which you would be willing to move forward with this sale? They'd walk away, punch you in the nuts, maybe, and away they go. Uh, yeah. So that's just – or you could you could collapse an anchor and say, think of a time when you were not resistant, when you were really willing to move forward. And now I want you to put that in one hand and then put – do you understand? It just doesn't apply. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't say to them, do you? Uh, you know, is the image of me not – of you resisting, is it black and white or in color? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. A movie or a still? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but but I love that it's just a, a real life and that's one of the things that I was so excited to talk to you about today because what you have is this real world experience of actually applying stuff rather than being what I would call an armchair trainer 
literally with thousands of people because I've been doing it 32 years. That's not a marketing ploy. That's for real. And not just with thousands of people, with thousands of the most stuck people you could ever imagine. Imagine a 30-year-old man who's never had a date in his life or has never had intimate relations with a woman. And you're coming along taking all those depression and all those limiting beliefs and all that lack of skill and you're wiping it out in a matter of 30 minutes or sometimes it takes a couple of seconds. Not everyone can do things in 30 minutes. As Jesus said, some demons only come out through fasting and prayer. So many times it it can take multiple sessions. Hmm. But that I've as well called, is a whole interesting I've, thing. I've been called the Messiah of Mac Daddies <laughs> or the sex guru of the nerds. So speaking to someone like yourself and for people who are listening and who are maybe starting out in the world of change work, I think there's a tendency, maybe it's through marketing hype, but for people at the top of the game who are experienced to sometimes lead people to believe that like you're a crap change worker unless you've helped every single person in 10 minutes or less. And I think that's a Milton Erickson. Well, look, let's go back to the granddaddy, Milton Erickson. What people ignore is he often took great pains to over time, over multiple, multiple sessions to educate the unconscious mind on how to learn to do things. All this stuff that your unconscious knows, everything it already needs. That's what, If it already knows, then why the fuck are you coming to me and paying me money? Obviously, it doesn't know. And Erickson often would work with people for months. He wouldn't use traditional techniques, but some of the most blocked people. Now, we can get it down to much shorter periods of time. But still, I've had clients who I've had to work with for 90 days who are traumatized and really, really stuck. They came from religious backgrounds that attach a lot of shame around sex or they were so lacking in skill. Uh, this is an interesting question. I had this discussion with my sister, who's a clinical psychologist. She has a PhD in clinical psychology. I said, Marianne, What's the distinction between someone who so lacks personal skill that they're constantly lonely and someone who's clinically depressed? Can you get to the point where a lack of social skills can constitute a condition that something you can put in the diagnostic and service manual as depression and generalized anxiety? Should you know that's a really, really good question? She said, I think they're comorbid. One can cause the other. And the other can cause – and they can contribute one to the other. Definitely. And you can't medicate a lack of social skills, can you? Nowadays, we also live in a society that's deeply isolated and humans genetically need to have social contact. And the whole coronavirus is making it even worse because we're essentially unconsciously saying the other person is a leper. Stay away. What do you think the impact's going to be in 20 years' time? Are we going to have a world full of OCD germaphobes? I have no idea. And here's the thing. No one has any idea. And anyone who tells you they have an idea is either delusional or lying or is just doing what I call health theater. A lot of what mm -hmm. I – I don't want to get distracted by this, but I think – there are a lot of sincere people, but I don't think anyone really knows what the fuck is going on or how to really fix it. It's what they call health theater. Many years ago when I was doing a seduction seminar in Chicago, I noticed someone during a break and it seemed to me that they were carrying a firearm. Just He was strapped with a hidden shoulder holster. And I called him over. I said, can I talk to you? I said, Mike, are you carrying a weapon? He said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm required 
from my job to always carry a weapon at all times. And he showed me his credential. He said he was chief of investigations for the United States Department of Justice Criminal Division. And I said, wow, this is really interesting. Now, subsequently, they had 911. And I called them the next day. I said, who did this, Mike? He said, Osama bin Laden. I said, go get the fucker. And when they began to change things in the United States and they had the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, I talked to him about that. I said, how real is that? He said, it's not real at all. It's what we call security theater. They really don't know how to screen people. We've tested it multiple times and penetrated that security with everything from fake hand grenades to knives to plastic guns, you name it. It's security theater because to institute actual security, we'd have to do it the way the Israelis do it, where everyone gets a personal interview. And so I think what you're seeing, a lot of what you're seeing here is health theater Mm -hmm. because the people in charge really don't know what the hell to do. Now, I could be wrong, and I don't want to get into politics in this discussion. Mm. I'm politically neutral. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Which goes back to that wonderful state that, uh, you know, people uh, – is unsexy uh, for people to go into in terms of change, but is quite useful, which is neutral. Very useful. Very useful. Yeah. Every but, state is context-dependent. It depends on the social context, the emotional context – the hierarchical context, in other words, is someone higher than you up on the on the power structure. If you're dealing with someone who's the boss and is way up on the power structure, you have to have a different state than if you're dealing with someone who's equal or a subordinate. So there's that. And people don't look at that. They don't understand that states, to be useful, have to take into consideration the context in which you're in. Is there anything that you'd like to say, talk about, bring up in relation to change that I haven't asked directly, but you think is, is worth sharing? Yeah, I would. I would. And I'd like to talk about the value of having some kind of, and I gag on the word spiritual, but some kind of process that deals with other than achieving and getting stuff in the world. Something that involves an honest, compassionate, courageous and clear look at your own patterns and you can't achieve that with nlp and you can't achieve that with hypnosis you can only do it i think with some kind of meditative practice so the practice of and i have to be quite honest i sort of lost my practice about a year ago and have not done it anyway consistently i think because i made such progress i stopped seeing the need for it and i intend to go back to it Nonetheless, I think developing that witness consciousness where over time you get profound insights into the profound direct experience that the self is not a thing. The Buddhist concept, I forget what they call it, maybe it's anatta, it's anatta, that no self as thing, that the self is not a thing in there, but it's a set of neurological responses that expand and contract that's a profound insight from the experience of anicca impermanence that everything is impermanence and that the distinction between self and world can dissolve these are very very nourishing and very very profound insights and the gradual release of patterns the gradual release of patterns by first seeing them with clarity and then loving them. Shinzen Young, my teacher, said, you don't destroy the small self by hating it. You have to love it to death. These are profound practices, 
profound practices. Look, someone comes to me and has a phobia. I can change that quickly. And the more profound change is helping them create that witness state of consciousness where they're no longer looking through their patterns. They're looking at them. That's the real profound change. And then teaching them how to balance witness consciousness, creative consciousness, and will consciousness. And even with will consciousness, how do you create that will to proceed forward, but equally, equally stay open to feedback? So you see that you know how to correct and change course very rapidly when you need to. And that you're not wishing for things that will get in your way. I had a former student of mine who really wanted to be a successful seduction teacher. And when he started to get what he wanted and had a huge crowd around him, it just fed his incipient narcissism. And he wound up destroying himself, getting involved with drugs. And it's very true. Be careful what you wish for because you may get it. Well, be careful what you deeply desire and indeed fixated on. Be careful about what you fixate and grasp on because that's the most likely to bring forward what really doesn't serve you. Now, you've mentioned Shins and Jung a few and this, times. And this is not, again, this is not sexy. No. But, but this I, I, is not we, sexy. For, for, for people that are thinking, okay, I mean, like, I, I haven't really looked at this meditation stuff before. Where, where should they go? Is Shins and Jung the, the go-to guy to, to, to look at for this? That's, or? Well, there, there are other people. Jack Cornfield, I believe, is another one. Jack Canfield is another one. Uh, Shinzen, S-H-I-N-Z-E-N, you guys say Z-Young, Y-R-U-N-G. He has a series called The Science of Enlightenment. Get the mm -hmm. audio series. It's really quite good. I turn Jürgen on to it. He's a big fan. Yeah, yeah, he is. And Jürgen turned me on to it. And it's all cool. Look at this. It's come full circle. Can you believe it? It's. Uh... I can believe everything. And I believe nothing. Nothing is true and everything is permitted. Alistair Crowley said that. Or was it Crowley? I'm not sure. Ross, this has been absolutely amazing. Paul, damn it. You see everyone yes. listen. He, he tells me one and, simple instruction. And, and I... once, again, once again, if you're interested in getting personal mentorship or having some change work with me, I am the most expensive coach you'll ever be glad you hired. This is well into the five figures at the very least. What you can do is email me with the subject mentor. Just say mentor, and the email is paul at speakerpaulross.com. We will and put all of the links. A, we can have a brief chat about uh, how you want to take advantage of my 32 years of working with thousands of the most screwed up, fucked up people you can imagine. We will definitely put the links underneath the episode. And, and it's been fantastic to have you. Grab my book on Amazon, Subtle Words That Sell. We will. And I will put the link below this episode as well. So well, this is uh, phenomenal. Thank you. Uh, it's really been a pleasure. And as we're signing off, and I just want to suggest as only I can that your listeners listen to this broadcast multiple times because it's so rich and so layered with suggestive language and other demonstrations of hypnotic languaging that I'm sure you didn't catch the first time consciously. Just, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review.
You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change matters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.